Well, I found myself laughing under the sink. And I was laughing because it hit me. So we had just moved in to our current home, and we had a lot of renovation to do because the house had fallen into disrepair. So we're retuning the whole home for this family of five. And our downstairs bathroom, I had retooled the whole thing, put in a new, new cabinet and a new sink. And there I was, I was under the sink installing a new double-handle faucet, porcelain and chrome, putting it all together, laying on my back, and that's when it hit me. Not the wrench, not a piece of the faucet, not even some cold water, but the realization hit me. I realized that I had changed. I had been transformed. I had become like my dad. I had become like my dad, the master plumber. See, in my hand was a crescent wrench, and it was painted neon orange, which was a habit of my father. It was a plumber's hack to make sure that you didn't leave your, your valuable tools in a muddy ditch, or you didn't leave them in a dark crawl space. So I had this neon orange wrench in my hand, and it was the same make of wrench that my dad had used And there I was with that brilliant orange wrench, the same make, lying under the sink in a position that was very familiar to what I had seen for years, the way the master plumber would lay there. But it wasn't until I shifted my position and I reached up and I torqued on the bottom of the faucet that it really hit me. I was doing it the exact same way that I had seen the master plumber do it a thousand and one times. There I was, hundreds of miles away from Colorado, hundreds of miles away from my dad, some 14 years removed from being a plumber's apprentice, yet I was bearing an uncanny resemblance to my father. I was imaging him. I was imaging him. But what hit me more than just my likeness to him was how apprenticeship works, the reality of how apprenticeship works hit me with a certain kind of joy because there's the simple genius, the simple brilliance to it, a wonderful formative power to it. See, apprenticeship is super simple in its pattern. So it doesn't matter if you're plumbing in Colorado, if you're doing stone masonry in in Kazakhstan, or you're painting in Paris, or you're doing high-tech in London, or you're farming in in Lebanon, or you're working the Sioux uh, chef station at at Chez Panisse. It, it It doesn't matter. The pattern is there. It's universal. In every context, it is the exact same. And the simple genius of the pattern, of this fourfold pattern, is this. It's union, abiding, obeying, and imaging. You go to a village somewhere across the world. You go to a large city. You go to a home. It's the same pattern. Union, abiding, obeying, and imaging. And just to get our vocal cords warmed up and to know that I'm not in this alone, can, can we do the, the Jewish meditation thing and Haggah, like say it with our lips? Ready? Union, abiding, obeying, imaging. Excellent. Union with the master leads to abiding with, being with that master. 
And that is always interwoven with obeying, listening to, doing what the master says, which in turn leads to a process of imaging, becoming like the master. So for me as a plumber, uh, it happened this way. My dad called me into a new relationship. He asked me to be an apprentice. He knew I would be able to make a better living and learn some life skills than doing the things that I was currently doing at that point. So he called me into this relationship. And this union then meant I would abide with him. I was with him my days. And my days looked different than they once had. They now consist of being in that plumbing truck like all day long and being in crawl spaces with my dad and being in bathrooms all across Longmont, right? So my days changed. I was abiding with him. And, and this abiding is always, always interwoven with obeying. See, I was a gopher, right? You guys know what that means? I was a gopher. I would go for whatever he needed, right? Like he needed a wrench, some channel locks, a new valve. I would go for it. So when you start out, you're, you're just the gopher. But my, my goal wasn't just to sit and watch him auger drains or solder a new shutoff valve as some kind of voyeur. I was there so that what he was doing would get into my own muscle memory, right? It was to write his likeness into my own neurobiology through practice. He would put the torch in my hand and I would solder that stupid joint and we'd turn the water on and it would blow apart and he'd tell me what I did wrong and I would have to redo the whole thing. I'd mess it up over and over again. I was learning to obey the master's words with my body, right? My whole body. So all those years later when I was laughing under the sink with that silly orange wrench in my hand, I was imaging him. I had been conformed to his image because of this basic principle that is written into reality. Apprenticeship, union, abiding, obeying, and imaging. In every context, the simple genius of the pattern is union, abiding, obeying, and imaging. And so it was in Jesus's day as well. Jesus, he didn't invent apprenticeship but he did. Well, anyway, that's meta. We won't get into that. Um, but in Jesus' day, Jewish society worked in this way. The education system worked in this way. So when a child was about four or five or six, it just, you know, it depended. It shifted a little bit. But about, let's say, five to ten years old, they would enter into what was called Beit Sefer, which means house of the book. The Hebrew word Beit, like Bethlehem, house of bread. Beit Sefer means house of the book. And this was their elementary school. This was grade school. They would read, they would write, they would focus on the memorization of the Torah, the first five books. How's that? Memorizing the first five books of the Bible by the time you're 10 years old. They would move on from that to Beit Talmud, and this means house of learning. Talmud is learning or instruction. An apprentice or a disciple would be a Talmud or a Tal- Talmudim. And here they would study the rest of the scriptures, all of the Old Testament, and they would learn the art of question and answer by questioning a question and getting the dialogue going back and forth. Now, what would happen at this point is the brightest of the brightest, you know, the valedictorians would, so to speak, move on, but everyone else would kind of drop off formal education here, and then they would enter into the workplace. They would become, um, you know, enter into the adult life. So whether it was a white-collar job doing taxes or a blue-collar job where they were fishing or, or farming or, or construction, they would enter into the apprenticeship of some trade at this point. 
But those that were going to continue on, they would enter into Beit Midrash. Beit Midrash, which means the house of interpretation. And how this one worked this way. Um, the, the student would seek out a famous rabbi. Somebody that they, they admired, somebody that they wanted to become like. And they would go and they would say, I want to sit under you. And then that rabbi, that teacher, would, would grill them with questions to see if this student was, was worthy of, of their time and, and education. And then if they approved this student, they would say, Lech acharai, come, follow me. Come, follow me. And then that student would follow them. They would leave their, their family. They would leave their way of life. They would live now with this rabbi. They would listen to his teachings. They would emulate this rabbi. They would become like them. And this phrase has now become pretty well known that they would be covered in the dust of the rabbi because they would literally follow behind the rabbi on the dusty road so the cloud of the dust would hit them so they would be covered in the dust of their rabbi. Now, the reality of this is that only a few actually got to be apprentices of rabbis and it was only men. So with Jesus, it's the same, but it's also really different. It's the same in the sense that there's union, there's abiding, there's obeying, and there's imaging. I hope you can see that in the pattern of, of the Beit Midrash that I just talked about. But it was also different with Jesus. It was, it was open. It was open to all. You don't have to be the valedictorian. You don't have to be the, the top of the class. It was open to all, men and women, whoever. But we come to a challenge here at this point. We face a challenge as we approach this study. The challenge we face is that apprenticeship, which is another term for discipleship, which which I'll get into, apprenticeship is often misunderstood. It's distorted. It is compartmentalized. It's reduced, and therefore it's relegated to some kind of option rather than being seen as the very essence of the Christian life. See, apprenticeship is not an elective. It's not extra credit for the the spiritual elite. That's not how it works. It's not spiritual extra credit for the overachieving Christian. It's not supplemental. It's it's the very substance of following Jesus. It's not the spice. It's the meat. You can go on with all the analogies you want. It's just, it's the way of following Jesus. To be a Christian is to be an apprentice of Jesus. There's no such thing as a Christian who is not an apprentice of Jesus, right? There's no two-tiered class system of Christians like ordinary, everyday Christians who profess Jesus because they went to a church service and they now profess Jesus, but their lives are the same and they just kind of do the best they can. And then some super class of Christians, right? Pro-level Christians who really follow Jesus. And there's no two-tiered class system. It's you're either a follower of Jesus or you're not. Now we're in different parts of the road and the journey, for sure. But every Christian is an apprentice of Jesus. Now, if this is true, as followers of Jesus, as a church family, we simply must be able to articulate the basic and fundamental truth of what it means to be an apprentice and what such a life actually looks like. I mean, can you imagine an electrician who could not tell you about how you wire a house or basic thoughts about electricity. Like, I'm not going to have them be my electrician. Or can you imagine a plumber who can't plumb 
a house or a football player you know, who can't tell you what it means to play football, how the game functions, what the end goals are. They don't know the basic skills to practice or they're not out on the field doing the drills. Right? To say you're one thing doesn't mean you are that thing, right? So it's the goal of the series to make clear what apprenticeship is, how apprenticeship works, and to lay out some basic practices of apprenticeship and, and the great glorious why of it all. So you could say it's like the origin, the essence, and the aim of apprenticeship, which we will be in for uh, seven weeks after today. So first, though, what we need to understand is we need a reshaped imagination. We need to re-see what apprenticeship is. And then we need to re-inhabit the world based on that reshaped imagination. We need to re-see the world and then to re-be in the world, so to speak, with a series of habits that the Spirit uses to conform us into the image of Christ. Now, there's a, there's a basic principle to this, by the way, and it's, it's really simple, but it's, it's beautiful. And it's this, it's how we imagine the world is how we inhabit the world. So when I talk about how we imagine is how we inhabit the world, imagine isn't just the fiction faculty that makes up orcs and unicorns, okay? How we imagine something is, is how we perceive it to be. And so how we perceive the world, what we think is real, what we think is true about the world affects how we respond, how we, how we act in the world. And if we have a deformed imagination, we're going to have deformed habits or deformed actions and engage the world incorrectly and go against the grain of the universe. So we need a reshaped imagination and reshaped habits to live in accordance with the truth. And, and if, if you've been here for more than a few weeks, you know that our mission here at VCC is to make mature and mobilize apprentices of Jesus. You might have heard it, but I don't think it's in our bloodstream yet. And so again, we want to get this deep into us. And this uh, vision statement, so to speak, is just our local way of talking about the Great Commission. So, so let's look at the Great Commission. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And let's hear again these words of Jesus. Now, we are coming off the heels of resurrection. Reality is shifted and changed. Jesus is alive. And this passage is happening after the resurrection of Jesus. So we'll pick up at verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is the great commission, which more often than not is the great omission. If this is the great commission, it's imperative that we know what Jesus is, is talking about here. And he uses the word disciple or disciple. So this is a Greek word, mathetes. Um, and it's, it means learner, one who's being instructed. So it's the parallel to the Hebrew word uh, talmid. So on that note, why do we use the word apprentice versus the word disciple? Disciple is a biblical word. It's a great word. I, I love it. Um, well, they are synonymous, the way we're using them. Apprenticeship and 
discipleship. But, but here's the deal. The word apprentice is used to communicate uh, an embodied reality, a life that integrates trust and affections and obedience and practice and outcome. So when people hear the word apprentice, you'll often conjure up an image of blue-collar work or an artist who's, who's working on their trade very, in a very physical fashion. And that's true of discipleship in, in the Bible. That's true of true discipleship. But what's happened in the Western world, the, the enlightened influence world, we've kind of become like the, the, the brain on a stick, right? It's just like we, we get more and more information. And just because we think we have more and more information about something, we think we become something or someone, someone else. And so it becomes a very abstract kind of theory-based thing that, that's not, that lived out in our flesh and our blood. And so we're just simply using this word, to show that this is a fully embodied reality, following Jesus, the incarnate one, the Son of God who took on flesh and bone and blood, following him means to be using flesh and bone and blood to work out our faith in love. So, notice this passage says, go and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Well, it means baptize them <laughs> in, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. This using water, baptize them. Yes. But in order to do that, they must hear the gospel. In other words, they must see the gospel. They must see the new reality of this world now that Jesus has entered into it and, and broken open hell and broken open the grave and redeemed and restored. We have to see the new reality. They must see the vis- a vision of the goodness of God that he would enter into this world in the Son of God, in the person of Jesus. And they must see his glorious life that fulfilled the law and the prophecies to the T. And they must see how he went to the cross, that he died, taking our sins upon him, that he went into the grave and on the third day rose again according to prophecy and they must see that that he has ascended and is sitting on the throne of the cosmos they must see that he has sent his spirit to empower us that we can now live like him because we are new creations to to see that we've been drawn into the very life of the triune god who ever was is and ever will be like that's a radical paradigm shift everything has changed everything has changed So we are to be baptized into that. And this new life is now abiding with Jesus like a branch abides with the vine and to listen to him, to grow in his likeness. To be a Christian is to be immersed, baptized in the very life of God, to be with him, to listen to him. We're saved by grace. And that empowers us to live differently. Jesus says, if you love me, you will Obey me. If you love me, you will obey me. So apprenticeship is a whole life way of seeing and being in the world. It's not theory, although there's theory behind it. It's not some kind of abstraction, but it involves your blood, your sweat, your tears, your head, your heart, your hands, your words, your thoughts, your emotions, all of you, fully embodied. If Jesus is Lord, he is Lord of all of our being and all of our doing. So with that said, let's take a look again at the paradigm, which is a model of apprenticeship, a way of re-seeing things. Don't let the word paradigm scare you. A paradigm just means a simple model of a really big reality, and it's kind of like a handhold to get, get our hands on it and try to understand it, okay? Um, 
so let's look at this kind of piece by piece here, these four words. So we'll start here with union. It always starts with union. It always starts with relationship. Every apprenticeship begins with relationship. It begins with the union of a master and an apprentice. Every Christian's a miracle. Have you ever thought of it in those terms? Every Christian is a miracle. Every apprentice of Jesus is a miracle. Union with Christ, being drawn into this union with this triune God is something that we cannot do on our own. God has done something and he's drawn us into union with him. And this is one of the most profound truths of the Christian faith. Again, right, the, Jesus lives this incredible life and his life leads to his death and that death leads to resurrection and that resurrection leads to ascension and that leads to him pouring out a spirit, pouring out a spirit on men and women all across this globe. This is Acts chapter 2. This is the birth of the church. The spirit poured out on all flesh, people reborn, regenerated, given a new nature, adopted, given new hearts, being drawn into the joyful, delightful life of the triune God, immersed in the life of God. Union. This is why Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved himself and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Incredible, these verses. Incredible. A new creation. We're united to him. So Paul's obsessed with this idea, by the way. He's just obsessed with it. He talks about in Christ or union with Jesus 164 times, at least. At least. He knows that to be a follower of Jesus, to be an apprentice of Jesus, is to be called by him, radically changed and ushered into a whole new way of being in this world. The life of God and the soul of man, as, as the old theologians used to say. That's what union is. The life of God and the soul of man. To be saved means that you are united to the Savior. That's what it means to be saved. So, First, union with the master. We're called into relationship. We're made alive with Christ, given a spirit. And then this leads us to abiding and obeying. Abiding and obeying. This is a life of sanctification. We're justified. We're changed. Now we're going to go through this process of sanctification. Sanctification, being transformed. Abiding and obeying. The miracle of being born again, being made alive, changes our daily way of being in this world. So apprentices abide with the master and they obey what he says. So um, much of what an apprentice does is just to be with the master, right? So think of a master painter and their apprentice. The apprentice is going to spend a ton of time in the studio with that painter, just being there, watching, observing, imbibing. If you're a teacher in any way, shape, or form, you know that there's a, a cottonness and a tautness, Right? Uh, that as a teacher, you teach things, but there's things that are caught merely by being in someone's presence and the observations of watching someone's life. And so, 
And the princess painter spends her days with the master, watching, observing, talking, eating lunch, absorbing the way of the master. Being with is, is key. It's key. Andrea del Verrocchio. Do you know the name? Andrea del Verrocchio. I didn't know the name, but turns out Leo did. Leo spent a ton of time with him. Leo spent a ton of time with Del Verrocchio, abiding with him, learning from him. See, Leonardo da Vinci was the apprentice of Del Verrocchio. And the way Del Verrocchio painted those canvases shaped da Vinci, which shaped the Mona Lisa, which shaped the Vitruvian Man, which shaped the Last Supper. You've seen those, right? So you have seen the work, so to speak, the, the way of Verrocchio. You've just seen it through da Vinci. He was with him. But it's not just being with, right? There's doing as well. The apprentice doesn't just watch. The apprentice puts the brush to the palette to the canvas. Leo did what Verrocchio taught him. He didn't just watch. He did. So someone who just hangs out with the master all day long but doesn't practice, well, they're a voyeur. They're an audience. They're a consumer. They're a fan. They're part of the crowd, but they are not an apprentice. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 35. <clears throat> this is Jesus. And calling the, the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. He's calling apprentices to a life of abiding, of abiding and obeying, being with him, following him, being in his presence and then emulating, doing what he says about dying to the old person and rising to the new, putting away all these things that are of unlove and untrust and putting on these things that are love and trust in the Father. He's calling them to abide and to obey. Yet Christianity often struggles with the two equal and opposite heirs here. One, a disembodied faith that's an easy believism or cheap grace. You know what I mean by that? I, I mean that you, there, there's this um, profession. I, you know, I've, I follow Jesus. I made, I made a decision for Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus, and it's, you know, it's on your little Instagram-like descriptor, you know, follower of Jesus. But you look at the post, and there's nothing about Christ-likeness there. It's like just a descriptor, but not seen in the rest of of it. There's no change in the way money, sex, and power are used. There's no evidence found in the feet and the hands. Faith is a theory. It's an abstraction. It's a, it's a label. It's smoke and mirrors. It's a profession, but there's no substance to it. It's a claim of being not backed up by any doing, but the being and the doing need to be together. It's like breathing. Just in is not enough. It kind of needs to come out, right? The other problem on the other side is that of moralistic doing without being, right? It's thinking that apprenticeship to Jesus is just doing a bunch of stuff to overcome all the bad stuff that you used to do, right? By doing all these things, I'll be loved and accepted. 
And by not doing these other things, that will keep me from being rejected and dismissed. It's a works-based understanding, and it's earning our way. So is it being, or is it doing? Yeah, it's both. It's both. Because we can tend to do stuff, do stuff, do stuff. And man, if you're in ministry, this is a huge temptation. You just do, 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 and there's like no being with. You lose that intimacy. And when that intimacy and that relationship is gone and you're not with the mass and you're just off doing your thing, it's problematic. Now in this text from Mark, did you notice there's a crowd and there's disciples? They're not the same thing. Are we part of the crowd? Or are we a disciple sitting at the master's feet? going about the long daily obedience of picking up one's cross. Now, um, an apprenticeship being and doing live together, right? Born of union, being with the master leads to obeying him. The more we abide and dwell with him, the more we grow in our desire to obey, and it's this upward spiral. Now, that life is like this. It's not just straight up and to the right and everything's fine. It's, it's hard, and it's good, and it's beautiful, and it's, and it's messy, and it's full of tears, and it's full of joy. Now, where does all this lead? Union and abiding and obeying leads to what? Imaging. Looking like Jesus. Genesis starts off with humanity being made in the image of God. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus is the true image of God. Mankind as mankind ought to be. And and so we are then to have our lives change degree by degree to look like his. So Paul gets at this over and over again in 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 49, he says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, just as we have been like or carried in us the image or likeness of the man of dust. Who's that? Adam, right? Just as we have carried on the sinful, broken, upside down, against the grain of the universe ways of Adam, well now we are to carry in us, we are to bear the image of the man of heaven. Who is that? That's Jesus. We are to be conformed to the image of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, And we all, with unveiled faces, we're beholding the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed, changed, into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, as we behold Jesus, as we behold his word by the power of the Spirit, we are being metamorphosed, we're being changed, metamorphosized into the likeness of Jesus, degree by degree by degree by degree, slowly changing throughout our life. Union leads to abiding and obeying, which leads to imaging. In short, apprenticeship is the way in which we become truly human, like Jesus. The goal is to become who we are meant to be. The goal is to become who we already are in Christ, but to have it fleshed out in our life. Apprenticeship to Jesus is the way of becoming truly human, like Jesus. Now, <clears throat> there's a question before us that I think we have to ask. Maybe you've been asking it since you saw the title of the series. So I want to take a moment and talk about it before we get into the, the practices and then close. Um, why truly human? Like, aren't we all human? Aren't we all human? Yes way more than our culture will admit at large. We are all human. We are not yet as we should be, or not yet as we 
will be. We are in a constant process of formation. We are, in a peop- we are a people in process, right? So to be truly human, truly, genuinely, is to live in a way that is true to our design and our purpose. That is, it's to live in accordance with reality, like Jesus. So I want to use an illustration here. Um, a child in a mother's womb, fully human, a toddler toddling about like a drunken sailor, fully human, a teenager, fully human, a 20-something who has just the world figured out, fully human, someone in their 30s or 40s who's going through their crisis of, I don't have the world figured out, like fully human, someone in their 50s, 60s, and 70s going, I'm kind of liking this, fully human, 80. 90, fully human no matter how ageist our society becomes. Fully human. But at every age, we are becoming, right? Every age, we are growing more like Jesus or becoming more dehumanized and more monstrous. An everlasting splendor or an immortal horror, as Lewis would say. So take the small child as an example. Think of the colossal potential that is coiled up and curled up in that tiny little one who's either in that mother's womb or in her arms. Think of all of that potential, right? Imagine the wonders of humanity that are waiting to be released, unfurled, revealed, and reveled in in that child's experience of the wild things of this world. As they step forward, into the horizons of possibility or taste relationships or come to face friction or they're sucker punched by the suffering of life or they delight in new joys. They grow and they mature. The child's experiences and memories deepen and widen like reaching roots, right, into the soil of life. Yet simultaneously, its opportunities and future outcomes widen and stretch upwards like the branches of a great oak toward the sun. Purpose, potential, possibility, all woven together into this being who is and is becoming. So apprenticeship is not extra credit. It is the human vocation. It is the essence of the Christian life. It is the way of human flourishing. It is how we become truly human. Well, So step back here now for a moment. We have a paradigm, a reshaped by God's grace vision of seeing what apprenticeship is. We have a paradigm, which is, help me out, union, abiding, obeying, and imaging. But we're missing a key piece. We need the the doing. You know, how how is this actually lived out? How does this get practical? How does this get worked out in the texture, like, of our everyday lives and not just stay one more abstract thing to have in our heads but not embodied, Right? We need a clear understanding of the practices of the apprenticeship of Jesus that the Spirit uses us to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. So there are a number of practices that one can draw from the life of Christ and from the Scriptures. And as you may have seen, we've put forward seven of these practices. And these practices are ways of training for godliness. Paul tells Timothy to train for godliness. That's not just sit there and and think, and thinking is super important and an embodied act um, because it's your brain and your mind. Anyway, all that. Um, But we are to enter into a way of training for godliness. And so these seven practices that we have identified are scripture meditation, 
unceasing prayer, life together, unhurried presence, joyful generosity, compassionate gentleness, and faithful witness. And there's all sorts of other practices buried under each, underneath each one of those. Those are kind of at a, a mid, mid-range altitude. And, and what I want to point out, though, is that these are countercultural. These are counterformative to the way the world is bending and twisting and distorting us. So, briefly, Scripture meditation, listening to the Word of God above all other voices. There are a thousand narratives about how to be in this world, a thousand anti-God voices. The world is a hurricane of anti-God voices. We need to listen to His voice above all others. Unceasing prayer in a world that has ejected God from its thoughts and placed the self on the throne with radical autonomy. We live consciously in God's world, talking with him first and most about everything. It's a life of constant communion with him. Life together in a culture that is radically individualistic, a culture that eats, sleeps, and breathes expressive individualism. I create my life and then I express it and you validate it. That's how it works. Well, life together is living in a confessing community, confessing the truth of God, and a community in which we are known and in which we know others. It's extremely countercultural. Unhurried presence. It challenges the violence of the hurry and the lack of a presence, a lack of presence or attunement to, to our Creator. In a world that says, faster, 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 keep up. If you want more stuff, you need to work longer hours, pay the bills, get what you want, right? In this kind of world, being present to God's presence with us in the moment he has given us is just a radical rebellion. Joyful generosity, contra the culture of get more and me first, gladly giving what God has given you is the way of the kingdom of heaven. Compassionate gentleness, in this world of coercion and dominance and violence and power, Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. And this is a countercultural practice of stewarding power with loving compassion and faithful witness. It's living this out in word and deed. See, the Spirit uses these practices by His grace to renew our mind, to renovate our affections, and to realign our actions. These are ways of training, not trying to earn God's love. He's already just poured it out on you through the grace of Christ. So apprenticeship is union, abiding, obeying, and imaging. That's the paradigm. How do we abide and obey? That's the practices. Now as we draw this to a close, I want to read one more scripture and then we'll pray. But let's look at John 1, 35 through 39 here just for just a brief moment. This is when Jesus calls some of his first disciples. The next day, it's after Jesus' baptism, John, the baptizer, was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, said to them, What are you seeking? They're like creeping along behind him. He's like, What are you seeking? Like, I just, I want to know what it was like. And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you abiding? Where are you staying? And he said to them, Come. Come and you will see. What are you seeking? Why are you here? Why are you listening to me blather on? 
what are you seeking? What a question. We are all seeking the good life. We are all chasing after flourishing in some way. And Jesus says, you want that? Come, see, be with me. See the world differently. Abide with him. Listen and obey his good words. And friends, the glorious future that awaits us is that we will be truly like this Jesus conformed to his image. Apprenticeship to Jesus is the way of human flourishing. Apprenticeship to Jesus is the way of becoming truly human like Jesus. And so, may you find yourself laughing. May you find yourself laughing. Maybe it'll be under a sink. Most likely it won't. But may you find yourself laughing and realizing one ordinary day when you're going about your life that you have become more and more like Jesus and that his glorious grace is transforming you degree by degree. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your good grace on us. Thank you for your word which reveals what you have done in your son and this whole redemptive arc of history. And, and you call us in to partner with you in this regardening of the world and this reversal of the Garden of Eden. And so thank you for being present with us, that we don't have to figure this, this thing out alone, but your spirit is present. So attune us to the grace of your presence. Lord, we love you. We come to this table with, with gratitude and joy. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.